Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am really excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Michael Hyatt, and we'll explore his wildly successful launch process that he used to promote his latest book. And whether you are launching a book, a product, a company, anything you've got in your pipeline as far as launching, you're going to want to really study this episode. By the way, if you want to reach me, I can always be reached via email, via email, via email at podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And with that, let's transition over to this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? This week, I found something that's been saving me tons of time on my phone and my MacBook going back and forth with data. It's called Copied, and it's a full-featured clipboard manager. It's called Copied as, how do you spell that? C-O-P-I-E-D. Okay, and um, explain what it does. So it saves me the headache of, oh, I've got this piece of information on my phone, and I need to actually work with it on my laptop, or vice versa. And what this does is it automatically is capturing the things that you copy into your clipboard and saves them there so that you can then use them and it syncs via iCloud so that what I do that for, you know, if I if I copy something like a, a URL, an image, uh, a paragraph of text on my MacBook, it syncs via iCloud in the app and then I already have that on my phone. And that, that's versa. really cool because if yeah. you think about it, most of the time if you see something on your phone and you want to get it over to you on your computer, you have to text it to yourself or email it to yourself, right? Exactly. And then you have to kind of remember or you have to figure out, like some stuff, it's not easy, right? Um, some stuff's easier than others. So this is just automatically synchronized and do you have to be physically in the same location for that to happen or or can I just you know copy something and forget about it and a couple hours later get to the office and hit paste, do you know? It is, it's literally what you copy one place or the other goes into the app itself and then the app keeps itself synced through iCloud. I see. So it's not like, it's not like on my computer, it replaces whatever is in the memory of the copy with the new thing that's copied. Instead, it goes into this app and then I, and then I copy it out of the app. So it's like, yeah. And and that's the other thing. It, It actually also, this is a kind of maybe something they don't necessarily tout as a feature, but the fact that sometimes you want to copy this one thing and something else and something else and not have to go back and forth between a bunch of different tabs and have all those things you just copied right in one place, this also does that. If that makes sense. Doesn't. Are you saying that if I copy three different things, it all stores into this document? Like once in a while we get so busy, yes, it's going to all store into that one, one place. So sometimes we get so busy, it's like, okay, I've got this one URL and I meant to go paste it where I needed it to go, but then there was something else I needed to copy first, and then I lost the first one, so I had to go back and get that. Okay, so this, wait a second. So what I hear you saying then is that everything that I copy on my either computer or my phone is going to go into some place, and yes. then I can 
and then I can recover that, hopefully securely, um, on the other device. Is that kind of what I hear you saying? Exactly. That's it. So one caveat, folks: if you copy passwords, you probably not. <laughs> you probably might not want to. You know, you might want to be careful about that aspect of it. But so that's pretty intriguing. So, um, so there's no extra effort necessary. You don't have to remember to like right click or anything. It just automatically, if you take the action of copying, mm-hmm. then it essentially sends another version of it up into the cloud in this special place called copied. Yes. And, and then, then the one other the one and it's an it's an actual app. The one other thing I need to tell you is is you can create rules so that only certain apps like if you want to make sure hey don't ever copy any, anything from one password or something from yeah. one password or this app or the other. So mm, Very there cool. You go. Now, um it's only on the Mac and it's um is that correct or is it web based? It's, it's Mac and iOS. It's it's app based. Okay. And what's it cost? The Mac app is seven ninety nine, but the iOS app is free. Okay, that's intriguing. So you could technically just use it as a storage on your iOS device if you wanted to. You could. You could do that, yes. Um, and then you could later email it to yourself. So they're going to get you when you get on the desktop. That's right. smart, smart, but, very smart. And, and I held off, but then I realized there was a whole world of like uh, just compatibility that suddenly opened up when I dove in and did it so very cool and it does work not just within the operating system but within apps itself like if you're in your browser or whatever yes very cool um where do we find it you can find it over at uh i believe it's copiedapp.com excellent copiedapp.com c-o-p-i-e-d-a-p-p.com eric thanks so much for uh, sharing that really cool find with us you're welcome now let's transition over to this week's interview with michael hyatt Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Michael Hyatt. If you don't know who Michael is, he's the author of Platform and co-author of the brand new book, Living Forward. He's also host of the incredible podcast that I strongly recommend called This Is Your Life, and he blogs over at michaelhyatt.com. And in his prior life, Michael was the CEO and then chairman of the book publisher, Thomas Nelson. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. So great to be on with you. So today, Michael and I are going to explore the marketing genius behind his latest launch, Living Forward, a proven plan to stop drifting and get the life you want. Uh, He's hit the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller list, and he's agreed to come on and talk about the launch process. And for those of you that are listening, whether you're launching a book or a product or a service or a company, you're going to want to listen because there's a lot of things that Michael does that he pulls from many different industries to achieve success. And I'm excited to dig in with him. Now, Michael, before um, we get into it, I wanted to ask you if I could take you back to your book days, who were some of the bigger name authors that you had a chance to work with? I'm just curious. Yeah. People like uh, Dave Ramsey, John uh, Maxwell, big names, uh, Marcus Buckingham, who came up with the whole Strengths Finder um, movement. That's amazing. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to ask that question is because I wanted everyone to know that, I mean, this is a space that you pretty much cut your teeth in. <laughs> How many years have you been in the book publishing world? Oh my gosh. I spent 35 years in the book publishing world and I worked in every aspect, I think, of publishing, uh, from editorial to marketing to sales to um, management. And as you noted most recently, as the chairman and the CEO of the, of the company. And, and the reason I wanted to the reason I wanted to say that is because a lot of people that may know you today may not 
may not understand the the breadth and depth of your background. And you know, here is a guy who understands the book space, and and you bring a unique position or experience, if you will, to the table. Now that you have your own business, and now that you are writing more books on your own. So, um, I guess the first question I want to ask you is. Today, we live in a digital world, right? That's very different than 10 years ago. So um, I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, do I need to write a physical book? Should I write a physical book? Why did you decide to write a physical book in this digital age? Yeah, well, first of all, I'd have to say that my book's available in all different kinds of formats. So it's available as an audio book, an e-book, a physical book. But here's, here's kind of a funny thing that a lot of people don't know because we hear so much about digital books. And if you only read Amazon press releases, you think that the physical books are you know obsolete and nobody buys them anymore. But the truth is that eBooks are only 25% of the market. Hmm. In other words, 75% of all books that are bought today are physical books. So if I publish the book in digital form, I would be missing 75% of the potential market. And in addition to that, you really don't have a chance of hitting any of the major bestseller lists unless you publish a traditional book. And you know maybe that'll change over time, but today that's the truth. New York Times has an ebook uh, bestseller list, but those are really only for digital editions of physical books. You also don't really have any chance of getting any major media unless you publish a physical book, because most of the gatekeepers in the traditional media want to see a book. Kind of want to get the sense of it, the feel of it. They don't take uh, e-only books, and then I think finally, an e-book just doesn't have the same cultural authority as a traditional hardcover book. You know, there's a lot of reasons to write a book, but I don't know of anything that can give you more cultural authority, more authority in your niche than having a published book. And you know, an e-book's better than nothing, but it's not as good as a traditionally published hardcover book. Now, what for a lot of authors or aspiring authors that don't understand the the benefit of getting on a list like the Wall Street Journal best list, bestseller list, what what comes with that? Why is that so important? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, a lot comes with it. You know, for example, if you're trying to sell speaking services, you know, if you can be introduced as a New York Times bestselling author, and I've I didn't hit the list in this last book for a variety of reasons we can get into if you want to. But I did on two previous books. And so I'll forever have that accolade, that moniker, if you will, that can go on my bio and I can be introduced as that. So it just, it, it, it increases your prices of whatever you're selling. Hmm. You know, it gives you more uh, social authority. If you can be a New York Times or Wall Street Journal or USA Today bestseller. And it just gives you street cred. I mean, that's, that's the biggest reason. Well, doesn't it get you distribution too? I mean, isn't it like, like in airports and stuff, don't they tend to just put, on, put the books on the shelves that seem to be the best sellers given their limited real estate? Yeah, totally. And, and that's, that's the, the actual driver of it is there's a limited amount of shelf space, not on Amazon or online, but in conventional bookstores, a limited number of shelf space. So they're very modest in what they order in. They're very risk adverse because they get stuck with all these books they can't sell. And even though they can send it back to the publisher, it's just a hassle. Mm-hmm. So once your book gets on the bestseller list, then all of a sudden, all the, the retailers that didn't order your book because they didn't want to take the risk, now all of a sudden they have to have it because it's hit the list. Got so it. yes, it does drive distribution. Okay. So let's get to your newest book. Um, uh, living Forward. W- tell us a little bit about why you decided to write the book and maybe just give us a quick synopsis of what it's about. Yeah. Okay. So this is a book really about creating a life plan. And I wanted to, to help people stop drifting through life, become intentional 
and start designing the outcomes they want in every area of their life. And so I was introduced to an executive coach back in about the year 2000 when I had become a divisional manager at Thomas Nelson for our, we had 14 divisions at the time. And this one that I became the manager of was dead last in every possible metric, return on investment, sales, growth, everything. So it was just in the dumper. And so the CEO said, how long is it going to take you to turn this around? And I didn't have a clue really, but I I told him, I said, I think it'll take three years. Well, I went back to my team and I said, look, here's where we are. And nobody knew, you know, here's where we are. We're dead last out of 14 divisions. Let's work like crazy and see if we can turn this around. Well, we went from 14 to number one in 18 months, but it came at some cost because during that time, you know, a lot of us were on the road traveling. I stopped working out. I stopped eating well. I mean, you know how it is when you're on the road. And I finally said to John Maxwell, who was by that time become a friend and he was an author that I published. I said, John, this is not sustainable. I need a coach or something. And he said, I got just a guy for you. And he introduced me to Daniel Harkavy, the CEO of Building Champions, an executive coaching company. And Daniel became not only my coach for a decade, but a good friend. But one of the first things he taught me was how to create a written life plan. And so that was like such a radical thing for me to realize that, yeah, I was giving all this attention to my work, but all these other areas of my life, I was drifting. And I was drifting to destinations that I probably wouldn't choose once I showed up at those places. I mean, my my health wasn't going to just magically improve unless I did something. My marriage was at risk. I mean, I was putting everything at risk for the sake of my job. So I created this life plan. It was so transformational for me that I began to write about it on my blog and had over 200,000 people download an ebook that I put up for about three years as an email magnet. And then Daniel and I got the idea of, let's just do a book on this. We really want to help people create an extraordinary life. So that's basically the book. Now, um, what was the official publication date on the book? And when did you and Daniel decide to start collaborating on the book? I just want people to kind of understand how long the creative process was. <laughs> well, the creative process took longer than it should. I've, I've done it much faster than we did it. But the book was published on March the 1st, 2016. And really, we started working on it in the summer of 2014. Okay. And so um, I, because I had a lot of experience as a so writer. it took you almost two years, huh? Yeah, almost two years. But just to kind of put it in perspective, I wrote the first draft of the manuscript. I, I've written a lot of books, and so I took the first shot at it. And that took me 30 days. I went into the, uh, deep into the mountains in Colorado, deep into the Rockies, took 30 days, wrote every day, got the first draft done. But then we had some issues of kind of trying to find our voice. I'd never co-authored a book before. And trying to figure out what our collective voice was going to be was a little bit of a creative challenge. But we figured that out. And then initially we thought, and I don't know if you know this, but initially we thought, well, we'll just self-publish this. I mean, I've got pretty significantly right. significant platform. And what do we need a publisher for? And plus, I'd kind of like to prove that the self-publishing thing works. So literally for months, we went down that path. We hired a consultant, a guy that worked with us. And then it finally dawned on us, this is a lot of work. <laughs> you know, some, sometimes people forget. I did that on my self. first book and it's amazing amount of work. It's like starting oh, a whole nother business, isn't it? it? Exactly right. I mean, you have to do all the ugly stuff. And some people forget that the self-publishing, that it starts with that word self, it all comes down to you. You know, right. you're pretty much alone in doing it. And I said, no, wait a second. I don't really care about making the money. I mean, certainly you can maximize the return on your investment 
by self-publishing, you're going to make more because you're going to get all that margin. But that really wasn't my purpose. My purpose in publishing it was really to invite new people into a relationship with me, to get my visibility up, to help a lot of people, to get in places I couldn't get on my own. And self-publishing wouldn't help me do any of that. So I kind of see a book as a very nice business card, a very, uh, very nice way to fill the top of the funnel and get people involved in a relationship with me so I can sell them other stuff. So then we went the traditional publishing route. Okay, so you've got the book done. It's in the, I'm sure, final editing stages, and you move into what we'll call your pre-launch campaign. So yep. um, at what point, uh, and let's dig in on this, at what point prior to the book coming out did the pre-launch campaign start, and what were some of the parts of the pre-launch campaign? Yeah, I would say the earliest parts of that stood about, t- took about uh, nine nine months. So nine months before the book launched, I started involving my tribe. So we went through a bunch of titles and and so we just ran them by the tribe and said, what do you think of these titles? And so we got some votes on that. And when you say by the tribe, what do you mean? You posted up on Facebook or what? Yeah, no, I would put it on Facebook, put it on my blog, you know, and just ask people for their opinions to vote. Mm-hmm. Then we narrowed the cover selection down to two covers and half of my team liked one and the other half liked the other one. And I was kind of ambivalent. I could have lived with either one of them. So we said, let's put this up to the tribe. And so we got some extraordinary input. But the most important thing we got was we got a sense of buy-in from the tribe that we were doing this together, that this was our project together, not just me. Um, The other thing, of course, we did was we started securing endorsements. And I'll talk more about that in a minute if you want, Yep. uh, because there's a whole process for that. But securing endorsements was really important. But the pre-launch videos actually began about three weeks before the book officially launched. And so we followed Jeff Walker's product launch formula model. And I'm sure a lot of the people listening are familiar with that. But if not, it's worth checking out. But the the basic idea is to do a series of videos where you present real content that's compelling, that's helpful, in order to build trust so that when you ask people to actually buy the product, they've got a relationship with you and they've got trust. Can you give so, us a quick example maybe of like uh, what one of those videos covered just so people can kind of think about it in their mind, how, how that might've worked? Yeah. So for us, our book covers three questions and the whole life planning process is framed around these three questions. Number one is how do you want to be remembered? And that's really kind of the ultimate write your own eulogy kind of question. The second question is what's important to you? And it's really a question about priorities and making sure that you have a clear set of priorities so that when push comes to shove, you know what to say yes to and what to say no to. And then the third question is, how do you get from here, wherever you are in any area of your life, to where you want to be? And that's really a question about uh, strategy and an action plan. So you created three videos around these three questions, and was it talking head kind of a video? Um, it's more than talking head. You know, one of the things I've tried to do in all of my promotional videos is use, use a lot of B-roll you know, the kind of role where people can visualize what you're talking about. Yeah, if people don't know what B-roll is, it's usually some sort of uh, some sort of photography or video that goes over the talking voice. So Yeah, that's right. Yep. So it was both. It was, I mean, uh, Daniel flew into Nashville where I live and we sat in my dining room and talked through the content and then did the B-roll over it. But those were hugely re- uh, well-received. I think we had like 40,000 people opt into those. And, and just so people understand, so the idea is you show a video and then you say, put in your email address to get the next video. Is that the idea? That's exactly right. In okay. fact, you have to put in your email address to get the first video. Mm. So what was, the, what was the goal with that um, pre-launch video sequence? Well, we're trying to build excitement about the book 
And we're also trying to get, uh, we want people that we can convert into buyers. And because I know the value of a name on my list, we could afford to spend money on Facebook to generate a lot of ads uh, and a lot of opt-ins as well. So we did some of that too. So that was the pre-launch videos. Another opt-in that we used, and we ran ads on Facebook for this, was we created this life planning assessment. People love tests. I mean, think of you know Myers-Briggs or the DIST test or Strength Finders. People love to go in and test themselves and to see how they score. So we created this assessment that enabled people to figure out where they're at in the various categories of life and with the idea of basically surfacing the need of why they needed a life plan. So, so was that, the, it was the idea that uh, you're taking this online survey and then you put your email address in at the end and then the results are emailed to you or something like that? Yes, exactly. exactly. So both of these are designed to build up a list of interested parties that might want to purchase the book as part of, a, part of the pre-sequence, right? That's exactly right. Because what we're trying to do is this is all building towards driving sales during launch week. This is pre-launch, but we're trying to drive sales during launch week because the way the bestseller list work is the New York Times is going to measure what sells, and basically all of them, from Sunday through Saturday at midnight. And the book that has the highest number of sales, theoretically, during that one-week time is number one in its category, like nonfiction or fiction or whatever. And the book sells number two, number of units is number two. So you're trying to, to drive as much volume that first week as you can. So we've talked about uh, a video sequence. We've talked about a um, test. Um, anything else that was part of the pre-launch before we get into the endorsement side of things? Yeah, well, we can we can talk about the bonuses. That was huge. Yeah, t- tell me about that because a okay. lot of people are familiar over the years. They've seen authors say, hey, if you buy the book now, you're going to get all these bonuses. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. So th- the reason for that is we really wanted to drive up the pre-orders on Amazon. Now, the reason that's important is because other retailers look at how the book's ranking on Amazon, even before it's published, as sort of validation that they might need to bring it into their store. And even Amazon looks at it for how many books they're actually going to order. And so we wanted to drive that number as high as we could in order to influence all those people. And by the way, the media also looks at that. So if you can say to them, like we drove the book up to number uh, three, Overall, all books on Amazon before the book was ever published. That's crazy. So, so yeah, but real quick, um, how, without getting into a lot of technical details, did you, how did you actually, did you say, did you give them instructions, go buy it on Amazon and send us your receipt, or how did you actually facilitate that? Yeah, you know, one of the things I forgot to mention was the pre launch team. I'll, I'll come back to that. Okay. So, yeah, so what we said was look, if you order the book and if you send us your receipt, just you know, we had a place where you enter your receipt information in with your email address, then we'll send you the download link so you can download these bonuses. And we had five of them. So we gave them a free copy of the audiobook. Hmm. We gave them a ticket to a live event. More about that in a minute. We gave them a detailed action guide. We gave them a living forward quick start audio training that Daniel and I recorded. And then we gave them a complete library of the planning templates. And and so, so you're blowing things, people's minds right now, Michael. <laughs> this is a lot of work, huh? Well, it is a lot of work, but but here's the cool thing about it. You know, a lot of people when they're selling books and they say, "Oh, bonuses," so they'll go to their friends and say, "Hey, would you throw in this one bonus?" And right. and these these bonuses are not organically related to the product, and it's just you know, forgive me for saying this, just crap. Right. You know, it just it doesn't motivate anybody. It doesn't work. They say, "Well, bonuses doesn't work." Well, if it's organically related to the topic, and all of ours were, 
And if they're beautifully designed, and ours were, and we created our own sales page for this, and we approached it like we were selling a $1,000 course. You know, we had a beautiful sales page with all the testimonies, with all the endorsements, all that stuff on it. And then people, again, put in their email address and put their receipt in, and then we would send them uh, the download link. Now, just a dirty little secret between the two of us. <laughs> and everyone else, the tens of thousands <laughs> listening. <laughs> yes. We, we didn't validate whether there was actually a receipt there. Yeah, because you trusted them. We trusted them. And I'll tell you what, we went back and spot checked. We could not find a single occurrence. And we've had over uh, almost 20,000 people take advantage of that offer. That's amazing. And we couldn't find a single instance of somebody trying to, you know, scam us or just submit an email address without a receipt. That's amazing. Um, talk to me about your pre-launch team. You said you wanted to mention that. Tell me about yeah, that. Yeah, so we, we had this uh, pre-launch team that was very important to us. And um, we invited people to apply to join. So you just couldn't just you know sign up. You had to apply and actually fill out a questionnaire. So we had 3,500 people apply, and we accepted 500 of them. Now, for those 500 people, here's what they got. They got a complimentary physical review copy. They got exclusive access to a private Facebook group where Daniel and I interacted, strategized, shared ideas. We did a 30-minute, ended up being an hour, uh, phone session uh, with them, a group session where we talked about the launch of the book and what we were doing. So they kind of got the inside, behind-the-scenes look. And then we just shared with them as we went along what our progress was and um, what was working. They agreed to read the book as soon as they got it, provide feedback and engage with us via Facebook or email. Then, and this was key, write a brief book review on Amazon or some other retailer site. And we said this, we said pro or con, you decide. We don't care. We're not telling you what kind of review to write, but we just want you to write a review and then help spread the word about the book any way you can using your existing platform and whatever. Now, how did you decide did you, what kind of questions, I guess, did you ask in order to discern from that 3,500 who your 500 ought to be? Um, did you ask like for their social plat social handles so you could kind of see whether they had an audience or did you not care about that or how did you no, decide? No, we, we did care about that and we asked about that. And I don't know what the exact vetting process was because people on my team handled that. Right. But I know we asked them, you know, we wanted to make sure that they were the target audience for this, you right. know, that this topic interested them. And then, you know, what their, what their social platform was. Yep. Awesome. Uh, I mean, that's, that's so cool. I did that on a much smaller scale on my second book to about a hundred people. And I found that that was really, really, people love that, right? Because especially oh, if they're super fans of you, um, they would love the idea of being able to have it early, to be able to read it, to be able to be part of that quote unquote behind the scenes inside team. And I'm sure that a lot of benefits come from that. I want to go back to endorsements, Michael. Um, yeah. uh, Tell me about, first of all, you know, endorsements. When we say endorsements, we mean not the Amazon reviews. We're talking about what's inside the book, right? That's right. So wh why are they important? And, and, and talk a little bit about the process there. Well, and let me just broaden this just a little bit, Mike, and say that endorsements, I think they're important for any kind of product that you produce, whether it's a course online or a membership site or a book. So it's kind of synonymous with testimonials then, right? Yeah, it kind of is. The difference is that these are typically from famous people. In fact, I would put them into three categories. Famous people that everybody knows, famous people in your niche, or non-famous people who have important jobs or important sounding titles. Gotcha. Okay? So 
what they provide, the value is that they provide third-party validation. It's not just you trumpeting you know, yourself, but it's somebody else saying, hey, this is worth reading, and social authority. And it also makes it easier for customers and gatekeepers to say yes. One of my friends says it this way. He said, you give other people the gift of going second. You know, They don't have to take the chance on the book because somebody they respect has already vetted it. And so we went out to about 60 people that Daniel and I together knew, and we had 53 of them say yes. I was one of those 53. Thanks for asking. You were one of those 53, and thank you very much. But we had you know, Tony Robbins. We had David Allen of Getting Things Done fame. Um, and we had Dave Ramsey and John Maxwell. And These are people you've built things. relationships with. You're not just reaching blind out to people, right? No, that's right. And this is really important. You know, the time to build these relationships is before you need them. And I had scratched the back of these people. I'd been generous for them and, and not really in a calculating, manipulative way, but because I wanted to honestly serve them and be generous toward them. But then when I come calling, it was amazing. Like some of these people, Seth Godin was another one. Some of these people, I got the, the endorsement back within a few hours of sending the request out. Now, here's a, can I just give you some tips for getting these? Yeah, please. Okay. So uh, and I, got, I broke this down into five steps. Number one, you've got to write a great book or create a great product because nobody of any note is going to endorse something that's not good. You know, like when I get requests for endorsement, because it's I their name it, on there, right? I mean, exactly. I'm, yeah. I, I got to read it. I got to vet it. I got to know it's good. So you got to write a great book. And, and a good example of that is David Allen, who's um, been a friend through the years, but he getting, said- The getting things done guy, right? The getting things done guy. Right. He said to me, he said, look, I endorse very few books. I mean, he calculated my expectations and he said, I'll read it, but chances are I won't do it unless I really think it fills a need. Well, he gave me a great endorsement. That's but awesome. it, it starts with writing a book that really you know delivers. So that's number one. Number two is make a prospect list. Make a dream list. You know, who would you love to have? And then begin to reach out to those people, you know, retweet them, share them on Facebook, read their stuff, comment on their posts, you know, do whatever you can to begin building a relationship. But we built this list and it was kind of a dream list. And I, <laughs> I had people like Tony Robbins on it and I wasn't sure if I'd get him or not. Um, I had Oprah on it. She didn't say yes. She didn't respond at all. Uh, but I hadn't built a relationship with her. She didn't know me from Adam. Right. Then, it, and this is a key thing. Sometimes what people do is they'll send out an email, and they'll send them all out at once. That's a really bad strategy. What I do is I send out two or three emails to the people I'm pretty sure are going to say yes, and then I include their endorsement in the body of the email so that when I'm finally going to Tony Robbins, which he was like the one of the last ones I did. You know, I already had Dave Ramsey, I already had John Maxwell, and then I went to him, and it's kind of like that old, old idea again of, of giving him the privilege of going second because other people are already on board. Nobody likes to be the first person at the party. Well, it's also smart because it helps him understand that some people he may know and respect have already endorsed it. That's right. So that alone is like a social proof mechanism. That's right. So then step four is just ask for the endorsement. I can't tell you how many requests I've gotten from people where they keep beating around the bush and they're telling me about their book and they're not really asking for the endorsement. I, I, I just ask for that right up front. You know, I just say, look, I'm writing to ask for an endorsement and then I tell them why. So they don't have to wonder why I'm writing or why I'm telling this. And then the fifth step is to provide guidance, samples, and a deadline. Hmm. So I, I sell them, for, for example, I want two or three sentences, you know, not more than that, but two or three sentences. 
I tell them, I give them some samples. If I've got some other endorsements, I'm going to give them, give them some examples. And then I try to make a really tight deadline. This is kind of counterintuitive because you think, well, all these busy people, I mean, if you write to Seth Godin or Dave Ramsey or Tony Robbins, you know, you probably need to give them like six months warning. Are you, them, are you giving them all this in one email or is it, is it first, would you like to endorse it? Will you be willing to? And then you come back with the details like I need it by nope. Thursday? No? Nope. I do it all in one email. Oh, okay. Um, and, I, and I tell them uh, basically they have 10 days. Okay. Now, sometimes it'll ask for an extension. But the funniest thing is like the biggest names out there really do it quickly. I mean, they, part of it is, is just they're in the habit of doing stuff fast. That's why they got where they are. So we got, what did I say earlier? We had about 60 people on the list. Yeah. I think you said you got 43 or 45 that said yes or something like that. Yeah. No, we got 53, 50, 53, 53. Yeah, yeah. 53 that said yes. So that was huge. You know, it wowed our publisher. They used it with retailers. It's on the Amazon site. Of course it's on the book and it just makes it so much easier when a customer picks up that book to go, wow. Okay. Now I'm you, in. you did something more than just get these endorsements. You went back to these people that endorsed you, didn't you? And you somehow asked for them for their help, or at least some of them, right? I did. Yeah. So, and and by the way, I didn't have my assistant send these requests. I did it personally. Gotcha. Because it's much easier to say no to my assistant than to me. And and the same thing when I went back with them. You know, after they endorsed the book, you know, I, of course I thanked them, sent them a copy of the book as soon as it was out, and I FedExed a copy of the book to them because I wanted to have it quickly and I wanted it. Um, to really get attention. And I hand wrote a note. So I didn't just, you know, have the publisher send them, which is what people typically do. They have the publisher send it with a dear friend letter that means nothing. I mean, I just got one today. I'm not going to tell you who it's from, but it just had a, you know, folded letter from the author in it. And it was not addressed to me personally whatsoever. So I wrote a, I did a handwritten note, sent the book to them. And then I came back to them um, about a month later. And I said, hey, I wonder if you could help me get the word out. And here's some ways that you could do it. And we created an entire page for them where they could get images for social media, tweets that they could use, Facebook posts, or for some of them. Um, I mean, Tony Robbins is emailing for me next week. That's amazing. And so many people would never think to, to follow through with that last part, right? So many people just think the endorsement is such a huge gift to be received in the first place. But if you built a relationship with these people, going back and asking for, hey, thank you so much for endorsing the book. Since you love the book, would you be willing to help? Um, for some people, might feel like a stretch, but w the worst they're going to say is nothing or no, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, and if I you mean, are going to say yes, and those that say yes are going to, it's going to be big for you, isn't it? It's, it's huge. I mean, because they're basically opening the door to their tribe, people that aren't currently part of my tribe. But they're introducing me. I'm kind of going through the door on their push. So they're introducing me to a whole segment of people that I wouldn't get otherwise. That's awesome. All right. So folks, you can see massive amount of work went into this pre-launch campaign. I want to talk about what you did during the actual launch week. Yeah. I know you did a ton of stuff. You, you alluded to an event. Um, maybe you can start talking about that. Yeah. So again, just to put this in context, the reason why this is so important is because all the bestseller lists are being measured for the sales during that, that first week. And if you make the list one week, it's much easier to make it the second week and the third week and so forth. So one of the first things that we did was we created this launch event and it was a big event. Thousand people came and we did this on a Tuesday night in a venue in Nashville. And we produced this like we were producing a television show. I mean, it was done beautifully. We had a custom backdrop made. We had like five cameras. 
All of this was being live streamed to the web as we were doing it. Periscope, so Periscope Facebook Live, all the above? Yeah, no, I think we used live stream. I can't remember. Or maybe oh, okay. it, was, it might have been YouTube, uh, YouTube's live thing. Ah, okay. But uh, we had 1,000 people that showed up physically at the event, and we did a reception for people that actually uh, bought a ticket. It was free for almost everybody, but we sold 200 tickets, and it included an autographed copy of the book and an opportunity to get your picture taken with us as the authors and a special pre-event event. And the truth is, that paid for the event, those 200 people. Was it just so, a party? I mean, what ha- like people are probably wondering, what do I do at an event like this? Is it just a party, or is there more to it no. than that? Yeah, so this was really cool. So the first part of it was a party. Uh, so it was like a kind of like a cocktail reception. Right. And then we had, you know, a backdrop of the book and Daniel and I stood there and greeted people and they got a free copy of the book and then they stood in line and we signed it and we had all that choreographed so we could move 200 people through in about 30 minutes. Then Daniel and I got on stage. We were introduced by a guy here that we both know. And then, um, we taught, we taught for an hour. Cool. So you gave so, a presentation. So it was like, yeah, a. Was, People were paying, and what was it? What did a ticket cost? I think it was hundred bucks, maybe a hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember right now, but I think it was a hundred bucks. And so we taught through the content, and you know, we had slides, and they were beautiful, and we went back and forth, kind of in dialogue form. We we printed a a beautiful workbook that people had, so they could get value just attending that. And then afterwards, then we did another book signing, which we just went out. We had a, brought a local retailer in. And we did a book signing. And then we had an after party for both of our teams and for some of the local media and all that. I mean, it was a whole evening. I mean, it took about four hours front to back. Had you done one of these before or was this something new? Uh, this was something new for me. But uh, Chad Cannon, who's my chief marketing officer, also from Thomas Nelson, had done tons of these with other authors. Hmm. So it went off without a hitch. I mean, he knew exactly what he was doing. And the main purpose here is to... I mean, what's like, what's the, what's the, you said there are cameras there. So what's, is there a marketing side to this or is this mostly just a celebration? Well, no, it's definitely marketing side to it because we were streaming it live. We had 20,000 people watch the live broadcast. Wow. And maybe another 20,000 that watched the replay of it. And so just generating excitement again, you know, the call to action was go buy this book. Right. And we were very clear on that. And if you buy it during this launch event, you know, we had another set of bonuses. You know, we had the pre-launch bonuses, and then we had a subset of that for launch week. In addition to that, and I don't speak that much. I mean, I spoke at Social Media Marketing World, and I love that event, but I don't speak at many events. You know, I choose them strategically. And for this book, I did four events, including like Shalene Johnson's Smart Success Live and a multi-level company, big company with thousands of people in it. You know, I did an event for them. And then I did a live webinar. And I did it, I think, three times in the course of a day. All during and, launch week, right? All during launch week. And for me, webinars are one of my best marketing tools. I, I, I love to get on a webinar and teach and then make the pivot to the sale. And so again, you know, the, the push was to go buy the book. But uh, yeah, the webinars were hugely successful. I think we had 12,000 people register for the webinar. That's crazy. And then you also yeah. choreographed podcast appearances, right? We did. Yep. There were a bunch of podcast appearances uh, that we did. I did Dave Ramsey's show, which is, you know, live radio and a podcast. This has got to be the hardest you've ever worked for one of your books. 
No, I would say it's pretty typical. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. Some people are like, you're you're blowing their mind. <laughs> well, but but see, it's well, what, cool help thing. us understand what's the long, but what's the benefit? What's the outcrop? The benefit of all this work? Because some people are like, just for a for a book that you can buy on you know Amazon for fifteen dollars or something like that. Like, help people understand why you do all this. Yeah. So one of the big reasons I do this is because I'm trying to get I'm trying to grow my audience, right? And so there are people that won't buy one of my you know five hundred dollar courses or join. Platform University, which is a membership site I have, but they'll buy a book because it's going to be 15, 20 bucks, depending on where they buy it. So it's a low threshold entry point for them. And I know once I can get them on my mailing list, I can begin to build a relationship and I know what the lifetime value of my customer is. Mm. And so, um, you know, with this campaign, we added almost, it's hard to believe, but almost 100,000 new people wow. that weren't on my list. Email subscribers. Email subscribers. And to me, that's gold because I know I can convert those into paying customers for other products once they've sampled the brew and the book is kind of the brew. And, and you know, folks that are listening right now, whether you have a book in you or not, there's no reason you couldn't follow this exact same playbook, if you will, pardon the pun, for any launch. And I would oh. imagine some of this stuff you employ in the launches of other things that you do as well that are not books. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we do webinars almost at every launch. We do launch videos. Uh, we do endorsements for all of our products. Yeah, this has just become, I wouldn't say a, a cookie cutter, but it's become a template for us that we use. And we keep adding to it and keep enhancing it, keep learning from it, see what works, adjust. But, uh, but the thing about it is, and you know this, Mike, because you've written books before, it's a lot of work just to write the book. That's true. So why wouldn't you promote it? You know, and a lot of authors, they spend all this time writing the book, all the blood, sweat, and tears. And then they just kind of throw the book against the wall like mud on the wall and hope it sticks. And if it doesn't, they go to the next thing. I say, forget that. You know, I have more um, control than that. I have more agency than that. I can affect the outcome if I'm willing to work. And in my view, I mean, this all started by setting a big goal. And my goal was to get the book on the New York Times bestseller list. Well, I didn't. We sold 20,000 books in the first week and for whatever reason, the people at the New York Times decided, even though it was the third best-selling book in the country that week, that they just weren't going to put it on the New York Times list. I mean, that happens to authors a lot, especially now. But if I hadn't aimed for that, I would not have hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list, the USA Today bestseller list, which is even more difficult to hit because it's not segregated by genre or by format. So it's you're competing kind of like on Amazon against all books in every format. Mm. That's amazing. But can I tell you one more crazy thing we did? Yeah. We created uh, a bonus that we threw in during launch week that was an adult coloring book. Really? So, yeah. So when I got on Amazon and I was, you know, like number three overall, I said, well, what the heck is ahead of me? It was two adult coloring books. <laughs> so I, I went back to the team and I said, this is crazy. These are adult coloring books. And so my graphic designer said, well, let's create our own and we'll offer it as a bonus. People went nuts over that thing. So it was just like an 18-page adult coloring book that had sayings from the book. And was it electronic or was it print? Yeah, it was just electronic, just oh, a PDF. Cool. cool. We offered us a bonus. That's awesome. That is so cool. Well, I'm very impressed at the amount of uh, planning and work. And obviously, you can tell Michael's a planner, and that's why he wrote a book about planning <laughs> your life called Living Forward. Why don't you tell everybody, Michael, where they can discover the book and where they can find out more about you? Yeah, well, the best place to find out more about the book is at livingforwardbook.com. 
and you can find the assessment that we talked about and the testimonies. And I think for your readers especially, Mike, this would be great for them to deconstruct what we did on that sales page because I do think you need to have a landing page, a sales page, where you convert people into buyers. And that's a great example at livingforwardbook.com. Excellent. And then, of course, my main platform is michaelhyatt.com. You can connect with me on my podcast and everything else there. Michael Hyatt, um, I was going to say king of the world. <laughs> Thank you. so, But I said it. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, coming and sharing um, your amazing wisdom on this whole process of launching. On behalf of all of my listeners, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Wow. Well, I hope you got a lot out of this episode. I know I did. Uh, if there was anything we mentioned and you didn't catch it because you're on the go, don't worry. We take all the notes for you. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 200. That stands for episode 200. Woohoo! Okay, um, by the way, thank you for listening. If you've been a regular listener to this show, I can't believe we've already hit 200. And by the way, if you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button on your podcast player so you never miss a future episode. We've got great content lined up. Also, if you've been a regular listener and you haven't already done so, would you be willing to give us a review? Socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes. We'll get you directly to where you need to go. You can do it from your smartphone. And um, with that, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you so much for being a listener to this podcast. This brings us to the end of another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner.